It's when you're down that you gotta get up. Don't let them walk all over your face. Stand up for yourself and make everything right again. Even if some guy's trying to blackmail you and your girlfriend thinks you suck. It's up to you to let them know that it was all just part of some rich guy's evil plan. Look out ahead, there's a truck changing lanes. You got some yellow crumbs on your upper lip. And those warts on your dick aren't gonna go away. Unless you start using topical cream every day. Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. And we have a fun episode for you guys today. I'm just going to jump right into this one because this is one of those comedies that uh, really makes me laugh. It's one of these things that's kind of a beloved comedy now. It's I would it, it's, it would be hard to call this one underloved because so many people like it now, but it was not that way at the time. And we're talking about Basketball, of course, the 1998 comedy starring Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And uh, yeah, this is a this is going to be a fun one because this is a movie that really legitimately makes me laugh. It made me laugh when I first saw it. It makes me laugh now. It's just one of these legitimately funny movies. And I'm going to bring a legitimately funny person on to help me talk about this. And this is someone I've been dying to do a podcast with for a long time. You may know her from uh, her many appearances on Rob Has a Podcast. She's one of the superstars over there. And uh, joining me today on the Malaka Laka Board of Trust, I would like to welcome Liana Boris. Hi, I am so excited to be here to talk about something other than reality television and to talk about a movie, like you said, is just, in my mind, so funny. There are so many quotable lines, and this movie means a lot to me, and I can't wait to break all of this nonsense down. Okay, I'm glad you said it means a lot to you, because one of the interesting things about this movie is that we are approaching it kind of from different angles here, is that you're significantly younger than me, so I know you didn't see this in the theater, correct? I did not see this in the theater. So my sister is nine and a half years older than I am. And I remember she went off to college in 1999. So a year after this movie was released, she saw it upon its original release. And then I would go up to visit her every once in a while. And I got to do all the things that my parents would never let me do. I got to drink soda and eat candy and watch movies that were probably inappropriate for me <laughs> at the time, uh, this being one of them. And so as I have grown up, this movie, you know, I did watch it when I was 10 years old. Um, and I'm sure there are many things that hopefully went over my head. But I've watched it so many times since then. And every single time, it almost seems like there's something new <laughs> that I discover about this. Uh, so, yes, you know, uh, a number of references I didn't quite appreciate until I was older. But it's, you know, been with me in my life, you know, for a long time. It, it's funny as you're saying that I'm trying to think in my head what it would have been the most inappropriate thing for a 10 year old to see in this movie I'm trying to think what would have been the one that just made your jaw drop and I'm sure we'll get to it at some point <laughs> what? yeah uh, I mean the first thing that stands out to me is definitely the scene where they're naked in the <laughs> locker room and they have their you know like prosthetic uh, penises and that I'm sure like the, the, the line throbbing cock <laughs> probably not appropriate for a 10 year old <laughs> so I don't I'm trying to remember what I thought at the time I think it just went so over my head <laughs> but now in retrospect I'm like Marisa my sister let me watch this so you had a cat named Long Wanger after that because of that scene <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and it was running around asking other kids at school what a vagina was. <laughs> okay. I will give my history. Mine's a little different. That This movie came out in 1998. I was uh, 24 years old. And uh, 
I was not a fan of South Park. Are you are you a South Park fan, Liana? Yeah, so I actually grew up in Colorado, and so from the moment South Park came out, my sister and my dad were huge fans. So again, that was also another situation where I grew up sort of watching it, but <laughs> missing a, a number of the jokes. But it was, you know, especially all the John Elway references, the Broncos references, uh, just being in Colorado, it sort of was part of my, um, you know, pop culture growing up. So yeah, I would say that South Park has always been a part of my life as well. Did you indeed grow up in a podunk redneck mountain town? <laughs> Almost. We were on the foothills on the other side, but I'd been to South Park a number number of times. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's actually really funny because uh, I also watched other Trey Parker and Matt Stone films like Cannibal the Musical and Orgasmo. Uh, again, as a child, <laughs> which I questioned my parents' decisions and my sister's decisions. But yeah, the you know the humor of Trey Parker, Matt Stone, and of course David Zucker, who's the writer and director of this film, have been with me, uh, you know, throughout my whole childhood. Okay, yeah, that's. Uh, I didn't know you were from Colorado. Okay, that adds a different spin to this. Um, yeah, what happened to South, again, South Park, for those who don't know, South Park came out in, what, 97, 98, somewhere yeah. in there. I forget exactly mm -hmm. when. I, when I first saw it, I just didn't like it. That wasn't my style of comedy. It was too vulgar. And what was funny is I had a friend who I worked with in Seattle today. She was a programmer like me, and we worked in the same office. And she didn't have cable, so she's like, hey, Mario, can you tape this show, South Park, for me? And I'm like, I don't want to tape that stupid show. So I taper these episodes and I give it to her. And what's funny is she's like a big celebrity now. Her name is Rachel Flotard. She's a bit, uh, the lead singer of a band named Viz Queen in Seattle. And she's like a huge name in the, in the Seattle music scene. But So that was my, my introduction to South Park. I had to tape this stupid show for Rachel every week. And again, I just didn't like the show at all. And so I kind of dragged my feet when this movie came out. Again, this was, is this the first Trey Parker, Matt Stone movie or did the other ones come first? Uh, the other ones came first, but this is the one. So they wrote and directed, from my understanding, those other films. So this is the first one that they were sort of acting in as just actors. I mean, I know that they contributed a lot to, un, like, unofficially to the script. Uh, but this is sort of there's the the joke in the movie about them, you know, oh, you're going to act in a big Hollywood movie. You're such a sellout. Uh, so this was like their sort of first really big movie. Yeah. Okay. So uh, so yeah, basically, yeah, this is their first big, big, uh, big name movie where they're not the ones who wrote it, although. I don't know if you knew this, Liana, that I was reading some uh, research on this this uh, movie today that it was written for Chris Farley. That cracks me up when I think about that. That is that's so crazy to think about what that that version of that movie would have been. There's, we're going to get into a little history here that this movie is oddly important to like American comedy movies. And I didn't even realize that until I was watching it today that it's directed by the guy, David Zucker, who made Airplane, made The Naked Gun, which are pretty much the pinnacle of 80s comedies movies. And then you have Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the South Park guys who like the pinnacle of maybe late 90s, 2000s comedy. And this is like the intersection where 80s met 2000s. And I didn't even realize that until I was watching it today that it's like a perfect mesh of their two styles of comedy. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I love this movie so much, because I, you know, again, my my dad let me watch Airplane and, you know, Top Secret and all those movies. And uh, and then having also now Trey Parker and Matt Stone come into it, which I do. I am a South Park fan. It was this weird amalgam of sort of a lot of things that I appreciate about comedy, which is maybe why it stuck with me for so long. Yeah. And again, we just have to I can't reiterate enough that this movie as we know it now, is not the way it started. It was written by David Zucker, who apparently this was a game he used to play with his friends when they were kids in the neighborhood. It's just basketball for non-athletes. You don't have to run or anything. 
So he wrote this wrote this script. It was this thing that kicked around in Hollywood for a few years, and then Chris Farley got attached to it, and it was a Chris Farley vehicle, which again I, I still laugh at. <laughs> and then Chris Farley died, and they're like, "Well, we need someone else to star in this movie." And like the flavor of the week that month happened to be South Park. It had just come out. And they're like, well, we'll get this guy, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. These guys are funny. We'll put them in the movie. We'll rewrite it for two characters. And then what's funny is I read some trivia that, that Trey and Matt had no intention of becoming big movie stars. They're like, well, someone will pay us to be in this movie. And like South Park's never going to make it. It's too racy for cable. It'll be canceled in three weeks. So let's just agree to do this movie. And then what happened is South Park became a hit. And all of a sudden they had to do a movie, too, that they had no interest in. Yeah, I think I remember reading that, too, that essentially they were they thought South Park was, oh, for sure, going to get canceled by the time this movie was going to come out. So, you know, they're like, yeah, sure, we'll do that. You know, there's no way South Park is going to be a big success. And then they ended up having to do both at the same time, uh, which is just crazy. And again, I will say, again, I didn't like South Park at first. I grew to love it. It's one of my favorite comedies now. I I love that show with all my heart, but I didn't like it at first. But when I saw this movie, I kind of got dragged to it. I had a friend in town. We were looking for something to do. Like, ah, we could go see basketball. And I remember laughing so hard at this movie. And I was it was not expecting. And I brought this up in my Brady Bunch movie podcast. Like, my favorite movies are the ones you have no expectations for at all. And they become really funny. Those are the ones that are so rewarding, I think. Well, I think this movie, it has sort of those classic airplane jokes in them also. And uh, and I mean, especially the first, I think, 20 minutes, there just seems to be a gag in the background, you know, every three seconds. And so there's just a lot of comedy jam packed into this. And and it's funny that you mention it because it wasn't I don't think it was well received at the time it was released. I mean, it got low ratings um, and bad reviews, which is shocking to me. Obviously, I didn't remember any of that, that but um, but I thought it was just hilarious and just jam packed full of comedy yeah it's funny you mentioned that i was actually going through the reviews of uh basketball today to say it is was not well received would be an understatement like, <laughs> roger ebert in his review i says he he wrote something like this is the deterioration of standards in our society like people were so <laughs> horrified that south park comedy was becoming a thing in america like it, there's almost no positive reviews of basketball out there i mean even today i mean it's it's, it's safe to say obviously that critics Comedy is probably not always for critics, <laughs> and, and this movie obviously is not for everybody, but it's just, it's funny when you read these reviews how horrified people were that a movie like this could exist, just the bad taste, the stuff we would become uh, familiar with later on South Park was all kind of new here, and yeah, the critics were horrified, and again, it was a huge bomb, it didn't make any money, this was, and I know Trey and Matt were like embarrassed by it at the time, it's just one of these things, like it's, it was perhaps a little ahead of its time. <laughs> Yeah, I. it's weird to think of it as sort of a pioneering movie. But yeah, it's I, I'm pretty sure there's a reference in South Park to, you know, asking for their money back like we did with basketballs, you know, because it was just such a big flop. Uh, but now kind of in retrospect, looking back at, you know, sort of all of the the vulgar elements that have now sort of become commonplace. Now, it doesn't seem as shocking, but there's a lot of insane stuff in this movie. Um, you know, there's like. Uh, the the very first party that they go to, Britney's mom's vibrator is shown. Like, oh my gosh, can you imagine Robert Ebert like watching that? Just I would, of course he's gonna be shocked. Yeah, and again, I will reiterate, this movie is not for everybody. I try to do movies on staff picks that I can recommend to everybody, but like, I'm not gonna tell my grandma to go watch basketball. I don't think she's gonna enjoy it. This is one. There's a certain type of humor. If you like South Park, this is up your alley. If you like airplane movies, this will be up your alley. And it's kind of interesting just thinking about this now that. I was, the, again, a big fan of Airplane, Top Secret, The Naked Gun, all those ZAZ movies, the Zaz movies. 
but I've always been kind of critical of everything they did after that. Like, I never thought any of them were that funny once they split up. They kind of peaked with a naked gun, and that was it. But basketball, to me, kind of represents the last hurrah of David Zucker. Like, it almost is like the spiritual successor to Airplane, and I'll kind of get into that later. But it's like his one last chance where he really hit that edgy, dark comedy that really got people to laugh, because I don't think any of his other movies after The Naked Gun really did that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And I don't know if that has to do with sort of the the shifting elements in comedy, you know, because this was sort of that mixture of bringing in, uh, you know, the David Zucker's brand of humor along with the Trey Parker and Matt Stone, because they were involved in some of the lines and some improvising and uncredited as writers. And I think that's why it was such a big success for us now. <laughs> and again, this movie just seems so charming and quaint now, whereas it was edgy and horrible at the time. <laughs> yeah, I that it's actually funny that you bring it up because if I actually just cherry picked some of the elements of this movie, I would say we you cannot say that you cannot say that it's some sort of like quite oh that's so nice (laughs) it really is edgy but because i don't know if it's because of the time difference from when this movie came out you know now it's been what 20 years Mm -hmm. um that it does seem a little like oh that's nice (laughs) with all the craziness craziness we have out there but yeah i i also agree that this movie is not for everybody uh even though i was allowed to watch as a 10 year old you probably should not allow children to watch this movie but uh it's it's hilarious to me and i love it Okay, two things before we uh, delve into the storyline here. The first is that this movie, I believe, set a record for the most uses of the word dude in one movie. I looked it up. They use it 98 times in this movie, which I'm especially proud of. (laughs) Dude. And I believe this, uh, it also, there's some trivia that this movie invented the word derp and introduced it into the American comedy lexicon. And derp has since become a thing, and it started in this movie. Yeah, I actually didn't know that until today when I was doing a little bit of reading. And, uh, oh, I was shocked. But then, you know, now, like, when I rewatch it, I notice it. And and that's crazy to think that that's now part of our lexicon. And one last thing before we get into it. This is kind of a question that has bugged me for years, and everything I read is a little different on this. Who exactly wrote this movie? Because I know when it says written by David Zucker, but, again, you watch these David Zucker movies after Airplane, and they're nowhere near as edgy and as biting as this one. Like, this movie has Trey and Matt's cheesy poof fingerprints all over it. Like, I know they 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 were improvising and they were adding stuff to the scenes, but if I were to just watch this movie, I would say Trey and, and Matt wrote this movie. They're They're all over it. Yeah, I I would have to say so, too. I mean, I know that they didn't get an official writing credit, but you can just tell that, yeah, their cheesy poo fingers are all over it. I mean, even the addition of the character Squeak was because of Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And I mean that, you know, like that's a huge element to the movie. Yeah. And Squeak, again, at the time when I saw it in the theater, he was the character that the audience really responded to. Like Squeak was kind of the star of the show at the time. (laughs) that's bizarre (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's funny it'll be funny when we go through this and we talk about the beats and i'll i'll tell you which elements worked in the theater and which ones didn't i think you'll kind of be surprised which ones were the big pops oh perfect i can't wait (laughs) so we're going to delve into basketball here but i will say just as a just a minor trivia note that uh some criticism was brought to my attention the other day i have a friend who's a uh, big movie snob he uh is a theater student and art student and he's like you know you should do more important movies on staff picks all you do is these frivolous comedies nothing with any artistic value nothing that's important so in my response we are now going to talk about basketball (laughs) true artistic uh you know representation here i think this is a perfect pick now like i did with top secret 
I'm just we're just going to skim through the plot here because the plot of this movie isn't that important. It's really the comedic stuff that's the big deal. So we're just going to skim through the plot. And then I've asked Liana to come up with a list of maybe her 10 things that stood out about it that really make her laugh that she wanted to bring up. So we'll each have a list of 10 things and we'll just go into them. Just little things maybe we caught over the years that really stand out about this movie. You, you cool with that? Sounds good to me. Okay. So basketball is the story. True story, again, uh, since this was a real sport. And again, this uh, this movie kind of led to some basketball leagues that sprung up, some neighborhood leagues and stuff after the movie. I don't know if a lot of people know that. But yeah, this actually came, became a little thing after after the movie came out. Huh, that's cool. I Yeah, I, though I do, I think I remember trying to get my friends to play it. But of course, they have sensible families who wouldn't let them watch this movie and had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> so yeah, basketball is the story of uh, these two losers, uh, Coop and Reamer, uh, that's Trey Parker and Matt Stone, of course, who are at a party one night, and they're just total losers from the same losers they were in high school. They just hang around and drink beer and do nothing, just total, again, South Park, we know this humor. And they're invited to a party with a bunch of successful people they went to school with, and basically they're embarrassed. They've never done anything with their lives, they have nothing to show for themselves, everyone is embarrassed that they're even there. Uh, Matt Stone gets uh, caught licking his uh, prospective girlfriend's mother's vibrator. That was a good scene for a 10-year-old, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm pretty sure I didn't really know what was happening. But every, you know, like, oh, my sister's laughing, so I think I'll laugh, too. Oh, it's a little toy. Look, it's a buzzing yeah. toy. Yeah. Oh, I have no idea what that is. It's a Happy Meal prize. <laughs> yeah, that and Reamer drinking from the bidet. I think I knew what a bidet was, so I might have gotten that one. <laughs> but definitely not the vibrator. Okay, so Trey and Matt go outside, and they're kind of bummed that they're at this party. They don't fit in, and... uh Outside, they're challenged by these two preppy lads to a game of basketball. And Trey and Matt are not athletes, of course. Well, they're going to get killed because these guys are like absolute studs at basketball. So they decide on the spot they're going to make up this game where basically we just shoot the ball and we don't have to run or play defense or anything. Basically, it's just shooting because we can do that. Well, I just they, so yeah, they get um they get challenged. They're all the the dudes, the wasps also want to put a bet on it. And so you know they're like, what about twenty bucks? And then Cooper is like you know, well, let's make it 50. And then there's the, this line, this made, this didn't make my list, but I just love it. So I'm going to say it anyway. It's like, dude, we don't have 50 bucks. We don't have 20. <laughs> I don't know. That always makes you laugh. No, there's just so many little, just aside jokes, comments that are funny in this movie. And that's the thing. It's not really set up punchline. It's really just, you're watching it for Trey and Matt just be themselves. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the the parts of the movie that really make me laugh, you know, there there isn't sort of that really big gut busting laugh, even though I may laugh that way, but it's always to these really subtle lines. And there's one I wanted to mention in particular, since you mentioned that it's later in the movie when Baxter Kane says to uh, Matt Stone, can you break a 20? And Matt's like, dollars? <laughs> just love the way he says that okay so yeah so we have this big game it's a basketball that they've made up it's basically basketball with baseball rules where you just shoot from different areas of the court and you get a double single home run whatever and then we get the fun part and this is the thing that everyone tends to remember about basketball the psych outs and this to me when i watch this movie i love this so much and even watching it now this is so fun this to me i i would assume you're going to agree with this the psych outs are like the lifeblood of this movie yeah, I would agree. It's such a good vehicle for including these little weird, you know, really silly, really goofy, really bizarre elements of humor that you can just write in, you know, because every psych out is only a second long, two seconds long. Yeah, it's perfect. And again, they're just nonsensical. Like, and again, to if you haven't seen this movie to paint the picture in your head, it's a psych out is where Trey and Matt can go up to you and say something in your face or do something to try to distract you during the shot. 
And yeah, as the movie goes along, they're going to get more and more bizarre. But the one here I think they're using at the start is they just say Ted Nugent, Ted Nugent, <laughs> which makes no sense. And there's one later with Steve Perry. And like where they get an actual debate if they should use a journey psych out or not. And it's just, it's such a odd it's a style of comedy that didn't really exist in the 90s yet until South Park. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, I said no more journey psych outs. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been gone. <laughs> yeah, it's just so, it's so bizarre. I would have loved to have seen the ones that fell on the cutting room floor because the fact that you're using Ted Nugent as a psych out. <laughs> what? Yeah. If you want a funny video, if you haven't if you haven't seen Basketball before, or if you haven't seen it in a long time, just go to YouTube and there's videos of every psych out in Basketball just in one video, and it's one of the funniest things. And again, not all of them hit, but the ones that hit that don't hit, or even you can kind of see where they're going with it. It's just Trey and Matt just effing around with the, the conventions of comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> yeah, it's it's just such a bizarre element, but I'm really happy that it was included. <laughs> Okay, so uh, so they've invented this game called Basketball, and it was kind of cool. They actually win, even though they shouldn't have won. And then they go home, and they're like, well, let's practice this. We'll make this a thing. And they decide they're going to make it a three-man sport, and they pull in their friend, this little... Uh, I, would, I, I, I hesitate to think of the right word to describe him, Squeak. How would you describe Squeak Scolari to someone who's never <laughs> seen him before? Yeah, it's uh, so he, that actor whose name I can't remember now, um, he's been in a number of their films that they had done previously. And he, I know he's done a couple voices for South Park, but Squeak is, um, he's like four feet tall. He's very tiny. Um, the fact that they just call him, you know, little bitch is probably the best way I can think to describe him. <laughs> yeah, they're forever hurling insults and just lack of respect for Squeak the entire movie. It's just crap on the little dude. And he's, He's such an odd-looking person. Again, he's like four feet tall. And just as a random aside for people who like the WTF trivia, watch the movie Galaxy Quest sometimes when Squeak randomly shows up as one of the aliens. He just pops Wait, up. Wait, actually? Yeah, he's in there. He's a Thermian. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, it's the only time I've seen him outside a Trey and Matt movie. Huh. All right. Well, now I have a new uh, game for when I watch <laughs> Galaxy Quest next. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, this guy comes. They call him Squeak. They also call him Bitch, Little Bitch. They have all sorts of little names for him. And then at one point, it's revealed that his name is Kenny. And I will say, when I was in the theater in 1998, that got a huge laugh out of the audience that there's a character named Kenny in the South Park Guys movie. <laughs> well, right, because that's at the time when South Park was, you know, had just like made it huge, you know, made it big. And so the fact there was a character named Kenny, I'm sure, was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, so they, they pull Squeak in, and there's all this stuff with him moving in. Again, we'll just skip over that for now. But it, eventually, basketball becomes a thing. It becomes this big regional thing where people are playing in the neighborhood, and they form teams and stuff. And it's a really cool game. It's got a big following. And then we get, uh, we introduce uh, the character of, uh, what is his name here? Ted Denslow, the billionaire, played by the uh, <laughs> the well-respected Ernest Borgnine, who comes in. He's this billionaire. He wants to form a league. He likes seeing this basketball. He's going to put together a league and turn them into, like, a professional sport. And really, the movie takes off from here when it becomes professional. Right. So this is where they go from just playing on the streets, playing in their local leagues, to actually making this, you know, glamorous basketball league. <laughs> and there's, a, there's a, a wonderful cameo here. You know who I'm talking about as the announcer during the first basketball game in the neighborhood? Uh, in the, the very first one when they're just playing in the neighborhood? They're just playing in the neighborhood before Tenslo, Ted Denslow shows up. There's a random announcer who I just completely forgot was in this movie. No, who is it? Kato Kalin from the OJ trial <laughs> shows up as the basketball announcer for about three seconds. 
<laughs> That's fantastic. Oh man, they were able to pull a lot of great people for this movie. I will say, like those like random cameos. Yeah. That's funny that I never noticed him there. Yeah, I'm surprised Cato was available. I'm glad they were able to get him. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm sure booked for days. <laughs> so, and there's a joke here in this movie. I have to point out that when. Uh, Joe Cooper makes his first bat basketball. He makes it out of his recliner and it says lazy boy. I I've seen this movie dozens of times and for years, I didn't even realize that was a reference to the movie, the natural where he makes the bat wonder boy. Mm -hmm, so yeah, yeah. So it's one of these jokes. I don't know if it really hit, but Oh, there's a natural reference in there that I never got. It's just layers upon layers. Cause at first you think it's just, Oh, he just cut up his lazy boy recliner. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> it's complicated. Again, it's not the best joke, but I'm just pointing out something that I missed for many years. Those reviewers clearly didn't get the layers of comedy in this film. Yes. Okay, yeah, so so uh, Ernest Borgnine comes and wants to uh, turn them into a professional league, and there's a great quote here. I have to read this word for word just because I love the wording of it. He goes, you kids with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg <laughs> and your Zima and your hula hoops and your Pac-Man video games. <laughs> God, that's one of my favorite lines of all time. That was actually, that's in my list. Because um, I just, the Dan Fogelberg one and Zima, just, I can't not laugh at that line. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I was going to say, that's such a Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I know they wrote that line. David Zucker did not write that line. Oh, for sure. And you can see Trey Parker, like, turning. He's like, Dan Fogelberg. He, like, mouths over Dan Fogelberg. It's just, it's so good. So, basically, the next hour of the movie is the professional basketball league and they become a team called the milwaukee beers and they play in beers stadium or beer garden i believe it is beers garden mm -hmm. and the team is made up of the airman joe cooper sir swish uh, doug reamer and then the little bitch kenny scolari <laughs> and this is the thing that always bothers me about this movie why does every team have a four-man bench of reserve players I have no idea, especially because this isn't a sport. Like, literally the point of this sport is anyone can play. So you're not going to get injured playing basketball. I need to call up someone from the reserve. But, yeah, there's just this sort of extra cast of characters hanging out in the dugout that we never see play. Yeah, it's, but yeah, because that's literally the sport, just the same three people shooting baskets over and over. And the, the announcers, they get some wonderful announcers in this movie. They get, what, Bob Costas, Al Michaels. These are all real sports announcers and they they get them to say horrible horrible things in the movie i don't know how much they paid them to say some of these things i have no idea i can't imagine bob costas and al michaels you know respected sports commentators looking back <laughs> so like well, the things that they said in this movie which i'm sure we'll get to are just beyond anything i would have expected from them yeah al michaels is just drooling over these cheerleaders and i have to mention the cheerleaders again there's certain elements of this movie perhaps not for everyone maybe this is not the most inclusive movie ever any ever made but i do i do appreciate that every team that's that's three people and they're based in a city and the city is some horrible stereotype about that city <laughs> like it's a completely south park humor like i have to mention the san francisco fairies right off the top of my head which was so blatant and uh just a blatant gay joke that they just throw in there and they go completely over the top with it but yeah and every team's got the cheerleaders that match the team like there's a team in new jersey informants who are just a bunch of greasy italians and again as a greasy italian myself i, I appreciated this and their cheerleaders are just these greasy italian jersey girls and all the stereotypes are so over the top 
<laughs> yeah, the I think it's the Dallas Felons is another one, and I think the Miami Dealers yes. is one. I think my favorite though, and this is really subtle. I have this on my list, so I'm just gonna talk about it now. The Detroit team, yeah. they're called the Detroit Lemons, <laughs> yeah. which is just so subtle because they, you they're never really mentioned. You just see it on their uniforms, and for some reason, the, the subtlety of that, and then the dig at Detroit cars just really makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, I like and again the timeline of this movie when it came out. I love the L.A. riots. Because for people who might not know, the L.A. riot was a big thing that happened during the Rodney King trial, which was not too far before basketball. Like, this movie only came out a couple years after. So an L.A. riot joke was rather edgy at the time. Yeah, well, there's a, I feel like there are a couple of jokes that, because the whole, and this may be getting ahead of myself, but later in the movie, there's this sweatshop thing. But that was supposed to be a Kathy Lee Gifford joke, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, to include something like that, that is classic South Park, right? Where they do the episodes and do everything within that week so they can be so topical. This is sort of like a weird movie version of that, trying to get all that stuff in. Yeah, it's just. Uh, so many things I want to talk about, but we'll just skim, skim through this here. Okay, so we have the first professional basketball league, and in the the opening season, the Beers lose. They choke in the final game when their owner, Denslow, dies. He chokes on a hot dog, and Coop gets distracted. <laughs> he gets psyched out by his, his best friend dying. And there's a great line. And then, oh, they all get pelted by uh, the, the Milwaukee fans are so angry they've choked in the championship game, they start throwing eggs at them. Which leads Bob Costas to the wonderful quote, what an unfortunate thing to happen on Dozen Egg Night. Yeah, the beautiful thing about the professional uh, basketball sort of world is you have these extremely stereotypical and offensive names for the teams. You have these very slutty uh, cheerleaders, I guess, or dancers. The refs are on rollerblades. They always have weird themed nights like dozen egg night, like free range chicken night. <laughs> so everything is just it's so surreal and bizarre. And it's just it, it's really funny. Yeah, and there's one of my favorite lines. This is something I was going to mention in my in my 10 things, but I just have to mention it. I'll probably forget if I don't, where Joe Cooper has choked the, the championship game, and he's like, I got psyched out, man. That's the sucks or something. And and, uh, <laughs> and Reamer goes, yeah, if anyone should get the psych out, it should be Dunslow. Yeah. <laughs> and Cooper's like, dude, weak. Dude, weak. <laughs> Uh, and when he's choking on the hot dog and he's so Cooper is trying to give him like CPR or something and uh, Denslow so he's choking on a hot dog and he still has the bun and he kind of like points at the bun to indicate that he's choking and Cooper's like oh no I'm sorry Mr. Denslow they stopped selling hot dogs after the like third inning get this man a hot dog <laughs> yeah so that's the end of Ernest Borgnine we're going to meet a couple other secondary characters I don't really have much to say about them uh, Yasmin Bleeth as the director of the whether the second chance dream come true foundation come true. Mm -hmm. and then jenny mccarthy takes a break from her schedule of murdering children to come and star in a movie so that was nice so nice of her <laughs> yeah although there is a nice running theme in the movie of a uh, cruelty to dying children which uh, had to be all i mean that's all kenny dying in south park that's such a trey parker and matt stone thing at the time and this will we'll see this time and time again in this movie where horrible things happen to dying children <laughs> It's just so funny. I, oh my gosh, I can't believe that Roger Ebert didn't appreciate the dying children jokes. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so we skim through the season, blah, 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 and good things happen, bad things happen. Basically, there's an evil billionaire named Baxter Kane who's going to try to take over the league and add all these endorsements and clothing lines and stuff, and he's just everything that's against basketball. So it becomes the, the story of the, the young, cool guys, Joe and, and uh, Reamer, or Coop and Reamer against Kane, and Am I skipping any over anything here? I know there's a lot of details, but I want to get to those in our list at the end. Yeah, I think that's the big picture. I think that's probably good enough. 
what happens here? So uh, there's a subplot with uh, with Yasmin Bleed runs this ch this charity for the dying kids, and they're constantly trying to fight for her affection. So they're going to do nice things for her dying children. They don't really care, I don't think. They just are trying to woo <laughs> Yasmin Bleed, which I appreciate. Anything specific you want to mention before we get to uh, kind of our ten things here? I want to wrap this up quick because there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess let's see. So you have sort of this, uh, you know, so Denslow dies, leaves the team in control to Cooper. And so that's what we're, you know, this sort of warring faction between the evil guy, Baxter Kane, who wants to make all this money. And then you have Cooper, who's sort of holding out for all of this. And that's where a lot of the conflict sort of in the second half of the movie comes from is just sort of them, like you said, battling against each other. Okay, and then we get we get a subplot kind of towards the end where Coop and Reamer get turned against one another. One of them is lured by the fact that all his money is going to be thrown at him, and then Cooper's holding out, and they end up fighting. And so at the end of the movie, basically, Coop and Reamer come together. They resolve their differences. They are, at one point, they're framed for running a children's sweatshop, which, again, was very topical at the time because that's what <laughs> Kathy Lee Gifford was doing. And Coop goes and fixes that, and... Uh, then they come together, they win the championship game, and they save the league, and they they defy Baxter Kane, and basically it's a happy ever after. Anything major I'm leaving out there? No, I think that's a major plot line. Okay. That being said, the plot of basketball is not the important part. The important thing <laughs> are the gags and the lines and the quotes and the jokes, and this is the part that I'm really interested in doing. So, Liana and I have prepared a list of... Ten things each that we really love about basketball that just jump out to us that we find so funny. And I will give you the honor. Please lead us off this list with something that you really love about basketball. Oh, I, I, I do feel so honored. Um, so I'm going to start. These are in no particular order for me. Um, but I'm going to start with at the very beginning, uh, sort of how basketball comes about. There's this monologue about teams moving places and just doing everything for money, which is, you know, sort of the whole conflict later in the film. But there's the, these this one line that just makes me laugh every single time because they're talking about the teams moving. And uh, and so it's the Lakers move to L.A. where they don't have lakes. The Oilers move to Tennessee where they don't have oil and the Jazz move to Utah where they don't allow music. <laughs> that line, the Jazz move to Utah where they don't allow music. I don't know. It kills me every single time. Whenever I think about the Utah Jazz, I just think, oh, it's like the tiny town of Footloose. <laughs> no dancing, no music. <laughs> See, this is why I'm glad I had you on the podcast because you went to the Footloose joke before I could go there. Well done. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure as a Coloradan, you are more than happy to see jokes made at Utah's expense. They're neighbors. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's throw them under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for my number one, I'm going to have, this is a very subtle sight gag. And again, it's hard to say that anything in basketball is subtle, but this is one that will never not make me laugh. There's a scene where the evil billionaire Baxter Kane is just trying to seduce Matt Stone, Doug Reamer, to uh, buy into his uh, new league with all this uh, endorsements and stuff. So... There's this great scene where, where Matt Stone shows up in, in Baxter's museum, and like every single thing Baxter says, Matt doesn't understand, and Baxter's getting increasingly more and more frustrated. And then at one point, they're walking. They're walking down a little hallway, and, they're, and, and Baxter's explaining all these things that Matt's going to get if he, if he plays ball. And just randomly, Matt Stone ends up on an escalator and just starts going down. <laughs> it's one of these stupid sight gags and that that's got to be a david zucker that seems like an airplane type joke it's just matt stone and robert vaughn walking towards the camera and all of a sudden matt starts going down while he's still listening to the conversation and he disappears on frame at the frame bottom and i just love that gag 
And what's great is that he's nodding like he's listening <laughs> as he's going down the escalator. Yeah. Um, well, so that that's actually funny because that brings me to another one on my list. Because in that same scene, um, when he's in the museum before, there's a cameo from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who is sitting in a glass cage thing. And then later you see him come and clock out like with his time card. That whole, like, just having that in there always just makes me laugh. Yeah, it's <laughs> the look on Kareem's face when he's just sitting there on display. He's sitting in this little glass case. And again, I mentioned earlier that this is kind of the spiritual successor to the airplane movies, the Naked Gun movies. And this is what I was really talking about is that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was a friend of the Zuckers. He's an airplane. He plays the mm-hmm. pilot. And then Reggie Jackson is in the Naked Gun. And then he shows up here again. And then you have all these announcers, these famous announcers, which is something they literally did in the Naked Gun. They're just doing that again. Then you have Robert Stack, who showed up in Airplane, shows up here. So it's really all the Zucker Brothers' greatest hits showing up here. That's why I kind of call this the spiritual successor. (laughs) Yeah, they're calling in all their favors. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay, so here's my number two. There are many quotes in this movie. But if I were to go 10 years without seeing basketball, there is one that I would still be able to quote off the top of my head. And that's because it has worked its way into my vocabulary over the years. And that is Trey Parker saying, oh, oh. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, my sister and I still do that to each other. I've, say, uh, uh. I've never heard that in a movie. I don't even, I've never heard Trey Parker do it since, but that's his thing. Every time something horrible happens to him, he just kind of looks at it and goes, oh, oh, it's, it gets repeated <laughs> like 12 times during the movie. And it's always funny. And like I said, that's the one thing everyone remembers the psych outs. I remember, oh, oh. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That definitely if there is a part of the movie that I quote the most by far, it is the uh, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, that's so good. Well, that was also on my, on my list. But there's uh, there's another quote that is I don't know why it makes me laugh. And every once in a while, I still say it to my sister. But it's when at the very beginning, when they're challenged to uh, this game, the the basketball game, and they're sort of making it up. Yeah. And their very first description is you uh, you get to you stand there, you take a shot. And if you miss, you get a letter. And the wasp was like, oh, so it's like horse. And Trey Parker just goes, no, it's not like horse. There's something about the way he says it that just uh, it just kills me inside. So sometimes my sister, and I'll be talking and some, it'll be different. You'll be like, oh, so it's you know, it's like, uh, uh, oh, it's like taking out the trash. No, it's not like taking out the trash. Duh. So, Duh. Like we just say, dude. So that's, I don't know why, but that makes me laugh. Okay. I'm going to go for my number three here. And this is one where it's just a a question. Why is it that the psych out makes a person fall over? (laughs) (laughs) I've always loved that about this movie. And that's something that I, I read a lot of reviews in 1998 that they hated about this movie that, that just stuck in people's craw that someone gets psyched out and they fall over. Like, why do they fall over? Yeah, that's the thing about the psych outs that really doesn't make any sense. Like you are so physically terrorized by what's happening that you throw the ball far away and you fall over. It's just so exaggerated that that's what that's what makes it so ridiculous. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. So I think there are a number of really great psych outs in this movie, uh, but one of the ones that I really like is it's it, again, it's it's at that beginning, the very first game that they play. And it's a psych out where Coop takes a Polaroid picture of 
you know, so there's like a flash, it gets in the, the guy's eye, and Matt Stone's like right in there with his thumbs up, and then Cooper hands the wasp guy the photo. <laughs> like there's something about like, oh, you got your photo taken in an amusement park, here's your picture. <laughs> okay, I'm going, I think we're on four here, I'm not sure. But there's a scene, and again, it's not maybe not the funniest thing in the movie, but I just, I'm such a fan of Trey Parker, and again, this is why it hurts me over the years to say I didn't like South Park at the time, but I've come to love him. I just love little ways he says stuff, writes stuff, songs mm-hmm. he does. The scene where he's doing a psych-out on the uh, Detroit Le- Lemons, and he does it all in mime. That is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a movie, his little mime psych-out. <laughs> and again, it's just, Trey Parker's so good at so many little things. He's like a good mime. Who knew that this guy could mime? But it's just one of these little things that makes me laugh when I watch that scene. He's just so talented. That is one of the weirder ones. Um, that along with the where he just takes the ball of aluminum foil and like balls it and just like is going to stick it in his mouth, stick it in his mouth. And again, that causes the guy to fall over. But yeah, why? Like, I just I would love to have seen the brainstorming session for the psych outs. Like, where did miming fall on the list? <laughs> that like we got to do it. Yeah. yeah. Miming creeps people out. Dwarves spinning plates creeps people out. Like, what? what's going on? No idea. That's so good. Um, so I think uh, I think another one that really just stands out to me. So we talked about this about uh, Squeak or Little Bitch getting made fun of. That's a consistent thing throughout the whole episode. Even the psych outs are like, you know, like Squeak fucked your mom, um, and that's the psych out, right? Because that grosses people out. But when he moves into their house in the very beginning, he has this great line that's. I swear, you guys rip on me like 13 or 14 more times and I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, I had that in my notes. I had that in my notes, too. I love that line. Fool me 14 times. Shame on me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's an underrated one. This is one I don't know if people would remember unless you watched this movie recently where, again, just uh, Al Michaels and Bob Cost is saying the most horrible things. Like, Michaels is drooling over these underage cheerleaders and stuff. And then there's a scene in the championship game where, it's like the big pressure moment, the last shot of the season. Cooper's either going either gonna to win it, sink the shot, and save the league, or he's going to choke. And, uh, and Bob Costas goes, it all comes down to this. Coop sinks this shot, he wins the cup, and the Beers get to keep the team. And then Al Michaels just adds, or he misses. Yeah. <laughs> it's such an underplayed line. I just love the way he delivers that. It's so perfect also because it's a play on, you know, those dramatic sports movies of, oh, if they get this final goal or whatever. And then, yeah, Al Michael's like, or he doesn't. <laughs> um, but they have they have so many lines that are just ridiculous and hilarious and so out of character, I feel like, for the two of them. And so that was one of the things on my list was all of these lines. So one of them is when they're talking about the the dancers and Al Michaels, they're, you know, Bob Cost's like, oh, it's hard to believe five years ago this league was just starting. And Al Michaels goes, hard to believe just five years ago those girls were only in grade school. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's another one later after they win when Bob Costas goes, uh, like, you're excited. You should feel these nipples. <laughs> yeah, very, like, very well Bob respected. Costas, yeah. yeah, did Bob Costas just say that? It's like I just watched him covering the Olympics, and now, like, what? <laughs> feel these nipples. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to mention one that I I'm pro- I don't want to steal your thunder because I guarantee you were going to mention this one. Just, But I have to say it because this is maybe my favorite scene in the movie where all this rain of shit has come down on Joe Cooper's head. Everything bad has happened to him. He's lost his league. He's lost his girlfriend. 
and he's going for a drive. And I know you know what you've seen I'm about to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> he's going for a drive, and it's one of these, like, in, in Rocky or Rocky Two or especially Rocky Four. there's a montage where Stallone will go driving, and he'll think about all the bad things that have happened to him, and he'll get psyched up. So Trey is driving down the street, and he's sitting in his car, and this song comes on the radio that's oddly specific to his life. <laughs> like it, it basically goes over the plot of the movie right down to it and an evil billionaire is trying to take over your league it's like it's the, my favorite scene in the movie because i'd never seen like a joke like that in a movie where they're, they're listening to the radio and it's clearly i mean that's trey parker singing the song and this is the type mm-hmm. of humor they would do later like in team america and the south park movie but it's kind of a precursor to the type of stuff they would do on the show just the oddly specific radio song that completely uh, describes the plot of what's going on yeah, I think my favorite line from that song is when uh, when I think the lyric is something like "There's a truck changing lanes up ahead" or something yeah. like that. That is like very very specific to that exact moment in time, which is just another layer to it, which makes me makes me happy. Yeah. And for those of you who don't uh, know what what we're talking about, that's the song I opened the show with. That's the that the oddly specific song is the opening to this episode. <laughs> Yes. Um, okay, so another one that I had on my list is, um, and there are a number of these throughout, but it's with Jenny McCarthy's character and the evil um, millionaire guy, Baxter Kane, I think is his name, where, so Jenny McCarthy's character was sort of this, you know, she'd only been, she married Ernest Bornine's character for like three months. She's this clear gold digger sort of character. And so the billionaire is making these sexual innuendos, like laying carpet or having his lobby buffed or polishing his chrome. And then you see Jenny McCarthy actually doing those things. <laughs> like she's actually laying carpet and actually buffing his lobby of his building. Yeah, that's definitely a David Zucker joke. That one. That's exactly, yeah, that one is such a classic, and uh, I'm happy that it's in there. Okay, so another little one. This is just a visual gag, and this is something people wouldn't remember unless you have seen the movie, but there's a scene where there's a uh, child, there's a sweatshop in Calcutta that's producing all their shoes, and uh, Cooper has to go and fix it because it's, it's producing all this negative press for the league. So he shows up in Calcutta, he gets in a cab, of course there's a goat in the cab, and he goes, oh, oh, to the goat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then he goes to the sweatshop where all these little Indian kids are working, they're like little five-year-old kids making shoes. And I love the visual gag that all the Indian kids are wearing hard hats, except they're shaped like turbans. It's a hard hat <laughs> turban. That's a joke right there. It's Yeah, and it's such a subtle joke because you totally miss it unless you're really paying attention because they're yellow. Yeah. They look like hard hats, but no, they're designed to be uh, to be like turbans. Oh, my gosh. Well, speaking of hats, so in the very first Denslow Cup, which is the championship that uh, that the beer is team actually loses the you can see the winning team the dallas team they have these championship hats and shirts on and then you cut to the beers and they're wearing these loser shirts like literally the hat just says loser and then the shirt has losers and then a picture of the denslow cup but with a big red circle and a slash through it it's never talked about but it's just a really like it's a slight sight gag that's in there that is just it's a wonderful attention detail i think it's hilarious that was actually on my list too i'm glad you brought that one up <laughs> okay here we go i will tell you the moment that got the biggest pop in the theater when i when i saw this in the theater can you guess i am curious what move what what moment in this movie do you think got a huge reaction from the audience <laughs> um i'm gonna say it's definitely not the uh you know, sometimes can I call you pig fucker in line? <laughs> Only my friends can call me pig fucker. I'm gonna go. That wasn't that one. <laughs> it was not that one. No. Oh. Uh. No. The big moment 
where there's there's two parts in this movie. And again, you have to remember that South Park was this huge phenomenon at the time. It had just come out. It was in its absolute peak, probably the highest audience that it ever had. And there's two scenes in this movie where Trey Parker directly references South Park, besides from the Kenny, the uh, joke, the Kenny, the name of Squeak. When he does the voices? Yes, it's the when they do the voices. Okay, it's, okay. The first one is when he's talking to uh, Reamer at one point, and Reamer's talking about how he loves kids, and Trey just seamlessly goes into Mr. Garrison's voice, where he says, like, I'm sorry, I forgot that uh, Doug Reamer cares about kids. And it's like, it's exactly <laughs> Mr. Garrison's voice, and that got a big laugh. But the big one is the Cartman voice at the end. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, this is one of the biggest audience pops I had ever seen in a theater. And again, it seems silly to think about a movie like Basketball getting this huge reaction. But like South Park was a big deal and Cartman was the star of South Park. And at the end of the movie, uh, Trey Parker has to do his big psych out on this guy on the Dallas Felons. I forget his name, Grumsky or something like that, this big fat guy. So they're like, psych him out by telling him he's fat. And Trey's like, no, I can't tell someone he's fat. That's weak, dude. And they're like, no, just do it really subtly. So, yeah, Parker goes up there, and I wish I could do a Cartman impression to do this justice, but I can't. But he starts going to, hey, I'm fucking fat, I'm Grinsky, I'm fucking fat, and he does it in this Eric, exact Eric Cartman voice, and that got such a huge pop in the theater. And to this day, I love that scene when I watch it. It's so funny to watch Trey Parker doing Cartman. Yeah, and it's really funny to see, because he also has this sort of physicality to it that, you know, I'm sure he's doing to do the psych out, but I like to think that whenever he does the Cartman voice, that's what he looks like, because yeah. <laughs> he sort of, like, tucks his chin in and, like, bends over. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, you get to see behind, uh, behind the curtain a little bit there of what it's like to do Eric Cartman. Exactly, exactly. That's what Trey looks like in the studio when he records Cartman's voice. Um, okay, so my last two are quotes that I just love. Uh, and so this one <laughs> is uh, when Baxter is trying to convince Cooper to uh, sign on to, you know, doing a, this, um, like, I don't know if it's a clothing line deal or whatever, but uh, Cooper just says, well, if you want unanimous consent, you're going to have to get it from one of the other owners. That's <laughs> 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 just that silliness is just, it's great. The only flaw I've ever had with that line is I don't like how Robert Vaughn repeats it. Like the joke oh, works yeah. great and then they have to do that's I that's the David Zucker thing. I'm like, stop doing that. Just let the joke mm-hmm. sit. It worked great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. What's funny is I have like five more here. So I'm gonna try to I'm trying to cram oh. through here. There's so many things. Okay, let's see. I know. How about the uh, the uh, when they go to the dying kid, the uh, the Dream Come True Foundation or whatever, and they come mm-hmm. and they they're gonna they can make any wish they want, and and Coop and Reamer will will try to grant it, and and Trey Parker says, uh, yeah, the league wants to make your dream come true, provided it's not a miracle cure or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then what's great is the kid goes on to list a couple things, and it's like big game hunting, poisoning the reservoir, <laughs> Chelsea Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> little dying kid, he wants to nail Chelsea Clinton. That's his final yeah. wish. <laughs> yeah, to which Reamer responds, he'd have a better shot at Bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of my that was one of my other things that that's literally one of the things the kid wants. He wants to hunt and kill a bald eagle. <laughs> he wants yeah, to kill like an endangered, endangered species. species. And that's, see, that's the type of joke I know Trey and Matt wrote. That's not a David Zucker. That's absolutely a South Park joke right there. The dying kid jokes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, my gosh. So my uh, we can continue to go through your list. I'm loving this. Just us retelling jokes we think are funny. Uh, but the last quote that sometimes I use every once in a while is uh, if Cooper says this, but 
If I had a nickel for every time this ball pulled me out of a tight spot, I'd have a shitload of nickels. <laughs> so the, I'd have a the, so just man, if I had a nickel for every time this happened, I'd have a shitload of nickels. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I'll continue in that vein. That there's the scene where obviously ten year old Liana was very impressed by when we see there's a, a locker room scene where uh, Trey and Parker are hugely endowed. Like at one point, they kind of cut, and you see these enormous wangs going down to the floor, and it's really <laughs> stupid. But what's funny is that what I love about this movie is they continue that joke through the rest of the scene. It's not so much that they just have these huge genitalia. There's one part where, where in the middle of the conversation where Trey Parker turns around towards Robert Vaughn, and you see part of his genitals go flying towards Vaughn, and, and Vaughn has to, like, duck to get out of the way. And it's just, and I love that they kept that in. They kept going with the joke through the whole scene. Well, and there's that sound effect of it, like, hitting the table or hitting the ground, too. And what's funny is that because you don't notice it at the beginning. They're just in the locker room, you know, and it's you see them from the waist up. So, you, you know, you're not you're just not quite sure that they're naked. But then as the scene goes on, it's just they continue to roll with the joke. <laughs> okay, so you have no more. Your list is tapped. Do you have anything else you specifically wanted to mention? I know you've got to have oh. a couple others. Yeah, oh my gosh. The, <laughs> so I love all the shade that's thrown at Texas. <laughs> so when the uh when the uh you know sports are sort of in dire straits, they had to recruit from prisons, mental institutions and in Texas. Uh and then when Texas wins the Denslow Cup, uh there's a, a newscaster and he's talking about the fans celebrating and it's just shots of riots <laughs> and that's like 13 injured four dead <laughs> Something like that. here you go here's one on my list the uh it's the uh very subtle necrophilia joke in here that <laughs> where <laughs> squeak is going to psych out one of the big guys on the la riots and he says your mother's deaf and the guy's like my mother's dead you little twerp and squeak's like oh i guess that's why she didn't move around a lot <laughs> There you go. Oh, you always needed some necrophilia in there. Roger Ebert loved that joke. Love, yeah, just loved that joke. Um, there's so there's uh, before they play uh, a game, they end up taking that Make a Wish kid or whatever out, and they end up going to a bar and just taking a bunch of tequila shots. And then afterwards, there's a bunch of references to uh, them being drunk and being compared to certain celebrities. <laughs> so, so there's one line that's like, "He's one for eleven and smells like Christian Slater," or "He's eight year old and eight years old and smells like Robert Downey Jr." I also would have loved to have seen the list of celebrities celebrities that they were considering yeah we know that for those jokes we know that south park is not shy about throwing shade at celebrities mm -hmm, exactly yeah and for those who don't know that that was robert downey jr's reputation at the time this burnout in hollywood who just basically drank and drugged himself to death so that you might not get that now knowing him as iron man but at the time that was very much a topical joke <laughs> yeah but that's what i'm saying that they it does have that sort of south park topical element to it which really now watching it now 20 years later you're gonna you might miss some stuff but at the time i like to think it was on topic okay so here's just a little a little uh reaction shot that i always love it's a at the reading of denslow's will where you know uh, ernest borgnine has died and he's you're hearing his videotaped will and at one point he says coop and <laughs> trey parker's got the biggest shit-eating grin on his face he's like yes mr denslow completely forgetting that he's talking to a recording. And I just love, I love this little look that Trey Parker can do. He does one very similar in another scene where it's like a montage where they're raking leaves with the uh, Yasmine belief. And he just turns and smiles at the camera, the most pleasant, happy smile possible. And it's just this look that really only Trey Parker can do. Oh my God. Yeah. That just really goofy over the top, stupid smile looking thing. I don't know how he does it, but he pulls it off and it's hilarious. 
Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that like really stands out. I mean, I have a bunch of jokes written down, but you know, do do they dare grace my top whatever we're doing at the 15 now? I, I will give um, you the honor of talking about the unsolved mysteries scene because I know everybody mentions that scene as being one of the funniest. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so Cooper goes to Calcutta to sort out the whole sweatshop thing, and there's this entire um element where it's unsolved mysteries, and they're talking about you know, Cooper going over there and there are just so many really great lines about it. Like, uh, you know, this came from a neighbor so-and-so who asked not to be identified. <laughs> and then you can see in the background, there's solitaire being played on a number of the computers. Um, and then later after he comes back, after he wins the game and he's on screen on the unsolved mysteries and <laughs> they're still like, we still have no idea where the fuck this guy is. <laughs> yeah. It's literally on screen. Yeah. And again, Robert Stack, like just like Al Michaels and Bob Costas being paid to say these mm -hmm. horrible things that he normally wouldn't yeah. say. Very serious <laughs> actor. Yeah, and he's so stoic when he does it, just keeping that same, you know, sort of very serious tone, uh, delivering these hilariously ridiculous lines. If I were Joe Cooper's girlfriend, I'd love to cuddle in the spoon <laughs> position. It's <laughs> throwing the glass of water on him because he's clearly getting off track. Okay. Yeah, it's great. Here we go. One of the last scenes in the movie, there's the Malaka Laka Board of Trust, which I mentioned earlier. And I just love the blatant racism in this scene where it's supposed to, the, the, like, the tribute, the, the big theme of this evening that's like the halftime show in the championship game is, like, white oppression of the natives. And so they have Trey and, Trey and Matt dressed up as natives. Uh, Squeak is dressed up as their good luck pineapple. And then the Dallas felons are their white colonial oppressors. <laughs> love, this is the theme of the halftime show. It's like a colonialization. Yeah, and it's above the lagoon of peace, but they're still the white oppressors, <laughs> explicitly said. Yeah, uh, yeah it fits with the racism in the rest of the movie. Okay. I got two more. Two more. I'll, I'll run through them real quick here. And one is we just right. mentioned the Lagoon of Peace. There's a real quick Titanic reference in this in this movie. I don't know if you caught it when Trey and Matt are about to fall into the Lagoon of Peace when the Malaka Laka Board of Trust falls. And they, <laughs> one of them says, hold your breath till just before we hit. And the other one says, never let go. And it, it happens oh. real quick. I don't know if people catch that. And again, Titanic had just come out a year before. Very topical. <laughs> no, actually, I didn't catch that now. <laughs> I, but I can like I can picture the scene. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to go back and listen. And I have to point out, I'm not going to mention a lot about it, but the chicken vacuum, where in the background of one scene oh. on Free Range Chicken Night, there's cleaners vacuuming up chickens and making them explode, which I love. Oh, it's so good. So there's chickens everywhere, which is hilarious. And then, yeah, so it's in a, there's an interview, there's a conversation going on, and this is a really subtle background gag, but the, the crew is cleaning up and they suck up a chicken. So you see it gets sucked up into this tube and then they continue walking. And <laughs> there's like a, um, I don't know what the word for it is, but like, I think of it, it's like a wood chipper kind of, <laughs> and he just, you see the chicken get sucked into it, and then a bunch of feathers just shoot out of the top. That's how they chose to clean up free-range chicken night. The chicken chipper. Yeah, the chicken chipper. Yeah. And that's right after a little kid has asked Doug to sign his chicken. Hey, Doug, can you sign my chicken? <laughs> just so many dumb little background jokes and quotes. And I'm going to end on an especially racy one just because I love ending on stuff like this. The vagina joke. <laughs> we have to talk about this because it's a great joke. It's absolutely not politically correct. This is a horrible joke to have in a movie. And I love that not only do they go for it, they have a callback to it later in the movie, which I love. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I will, I'll let you set the stage if you'd like. This, this is a, a delicate uh, theme here. Oh, you're going to make me handle it? I don't think yeah, so. I don't want the hate mail. Okay, fine. I'll go for no, it. This is all you. Okay, so, so they're playing a uh, 
team called the San Francisco Fairies, which <laughs> if you've seen Great South start. Park, yeah, you again, this was the it's not really this joke wouldn't be as topical now. But like in the 80s and 90s, that was the reputation of San Francisco. It was a incredibly gay city. That was the thing. Now it's like all young techies and it's rich and stuff. But like that was the thing you make a San Francisco joke in the 80s or 90s. It was immediately, oh, it's a gay joke. So they have a team called the San Francisco Fairies which is just all guys in tight pink shirts. And it's, again, it's it's spelled F-E-R-R-I-E-S, like they would actually have a ferry boat in San Francisco, but they're the ferries. And so to psych them out during the during one of the uh, one of the matches, uh, Trey Parker pulls Squeak over, and he pulls down his pants, and he exposes his butt crack. And Parker's like, you know those commercials for how to speak Australian? Well, here's one, how to speak San Franciscan. And he points to Squeak's ass, and he's like, vagina. <laughs> the guy... Yeah, the fairies guy falls over, he gets distracted, crashes. It's one of the most horrible jokes in the movie. I also, I love the fact that he seems to get a card for yeah. it. Like he, he get, and, then, and then he's like, no, that wasn't a gay joke. That was an Australian joke. Yes, that's the line right there that saves it. Where, no, no, it was an Australian joke, not a gay joke. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have this joke and it's like sitting in the air like, wow, I can't believe they went for that joke in a movie. And then like 10 minutes later, they visit the dying kid in the hospital. And the first thing the kid says is, Coop, what's a vagina? <laughs> like they went there and then they brought it back, yeah. which is just. <laughs> I am the biggest fan of callback jokes. And that's one of these callbacks that I just love because you don't think it's going to come back. And they do immediately the vagina joke. Mm hmm. <laughs> Coop, what's a vagina? And he says it with just such a sweet, innocent tone. <laughs> wow. I, I think we have tapped our list. Let's see. Do it, uh, we mentioned Unsolved Mysteries. We mentioned the, the car. Okay, we, we've done pretty much everything here. Are there any more announcer quotes or anything? Any, any more quotes you'd like to leave our listeners with to leave them laughing here, uh, George Costanza style? <laughs> um, let's see. There's when they do go to visit uh, the dying kid Joey, and, and they're like, "Look who's here!" And he goes, "My biological father." <laughs> that one also just oh, that's great. I will leave people on that one. My biological father, the <laughs> sick dying kid. Again, just one of those movies. You can hear how much fun we're having with it. And again, obviously we just watched it, but a lot of these quotes. I hadn't seen basketball in like 10 years, and I could have reeled a lot of these off off the top of my head. Would it be like that for you? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe it's just because I've watched it so many times. <laughs> but there are just, when I think of this movie, I always think of so many quotable classic lines. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I quoted this movie, I'd have a shitload of nickels. <laughs> well done, the callbacks. <laughs> All right, so again, yeah, it's just one of these movies that, it will make you laugh. And again, I hate to say, I always hate using the word guilty pleasure because you shouldn't feel guilty about anything. But this movie is just, it's just flat out funny. And it's kind of charming in a way that it was kind of the precursor to South Park, to Team America, to the South Park movie. This was really Trey and Matt really kind of getting their feet wet in a big blockbuster. And obviously they go more over the top in later movies. But like they weren't actors. They weren't trying to win any awards here. They knew full well this would probably be the only movie they were ever going to star in that hit the big screens like this in, the, in like the big way. And they were just having fun with it. And there's there's such a charm and innocence to it. And it's one of these things I think you'd probably agree with me, Liana, that like they're not the greatest actors in the world, but they have such good chemistry together. And they're so charismatic that it just really kind of works, I think. Yeah, I think uh, 
it is weird to hear it be described as sort of this like quaint, innocent, you know, elements to it. But that really is kind of how it feels. It feels even though they're, you know, cursing all the time and referencing necrophilia, there's something quaint about it that just makes me happy. Uh, and because, yeah, they aren't the greatest actors. It's not the highest production movie, but there's something very charming about it that I think transcends all of those other elements. Yeah, and again, it's one of these movies they were not proud of. It was a flop at the time. The critics absolutely reamed it. This movie got killed. And I was kind of surprised. Like a, a couple of weeks ago, I said I'm doing a uh, podcast on basketball, and someone said, well, that's not underrated. Everybody likes basketball. And I, that was kind of news to me. I didn't realize that it had such a renaissance over the years. But it's just one of those things. I just really want people to appreciate comedies like this that, like we said in Bachelor Party, it wasn't really trying to do anything but make you laugh, and that's all it was going to do. Every single scene in this movie is trying to hit you with a punchline and trying to make you laugh somewhere, and I I always think there's a room in the world for for movies like that. Yeah, it is, and there's a lot of subtle jokes. You know, like we talked about, there's no big sort of gut-busting or meant-to-be sort of gut-busting moments, but the, the some of the subtlety, some of the – like the Dan Fogelberg line, right? <laughs> I mean, that like that always – it makes me laugh out loud, but that's so incredibly subtle, and that's what I appreciate about this movie. Yep, and it also features Victoria, Victoria Silvstead, Playmate of the Year, who they mentioned that title at least three different times in one scene, which I've always been, uh, I've always had respect for that. Yeah, go back to your, your cars and your women and your Victoria Silvstead, Playmate of the Year. <laughs> and before we sign off, I do have to say this is the only movie I've ever seen where Al Michaels, a very well-respected sportscaster, one of the most respected sportscasters in the history of sports, there's a scene where Bob Costas taps him on the shoulder and Al Michaels wakes up and says, no, daddy, don't touch me there. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Uh, like Al Michaels said that. Uh, I'm going to have a really hard time watching any NFL football game he's commenting on now and not think of that line. All right. So I just want to thank you for stopping by, Liana. This was one of my favorite episodes we've done so far because I think I've laughed like the last 40 minutes straight. So. <laughs> yeah, not gonna lie, my mouth kind of hurts right now, but I, I had so much fun. This was a blast. I love this movie, and it was such a, a wonderful experience to talk about it with you. Okay, do you have anything you want to plug? I know you do a lot of podcasts. Anything you want people to know about if they want to hear more of you? Sure, yeah. If you are a fan of uh, reality television, Survivor, Big Brother, RuPaul's Drag Race, I'm doing coverage for all three of those shows over on Rob Has a Podcast. Uh, Mike Bloom and I have the RHAP B&B where we cover Survivor and do a lot of silliness about all of the episodes. So if you're interested, I really highly, re highly recommend you check that out. Excellent. Thank you again for joining me. Uh, perhaps we can do another podcast in the future. But yeah, this was a, uh, a lot of fun. And again, just a, uh, to leave people with one last uh, thought on this movie. Long wanger! <laughs> Robin Cox! <Yes. laughs> All right. Again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you uh, have any feedback on this episode, if you'd like to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time, I'll be out there looking for more movies that I think deserve a little more love or a little more attention in the world. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'll talk to you guys later. Goodbye. No, that wasn't a gay joke. That was an Australian joke. Oh, oh.